Hey folks, welcome to this Mexican GP preview of the Inside Line F1 podcast. And on this episode, we've got a ton to discuss, including the big question of this entire weekend. Will it be declared a national holiday if Sergio Perez ends up winning this weekend? Well, apart from that, we've got tons of other stuff. We've got F1 stats crew returning with a stats preview segment. And also, one big question that we'd all love to know the answer to. Why isn't the world champion given the Drivers World Championship trophy right after they seal it? More on that, more on this weekend, more on Audi finally signing a deal with Sauber to come in 2026 and also what we love about Mexico City. All of this and more is going to be a part of the Inside Line F1 podcast. But first, I must introduce myself. My name is Somal Arora. I'm the host of The Driving Force on Disney Plus Hotstar. And joining me as always is Kunal Shah, the former marketing head of the Force India F1 team, who now works as an FIA accredited Formula 1 journalist at the Weirplay Network in Norway. Now, Kunal, in your times, when you were at Force India, Formula 1 didn't quite go to Mexico. But have you quite heard stories of crazy fans over there? Because when Bob Varsha came out here last week, he said that we had upwards of 100,000 people going to every single F1 race over there at the Mexico City circuit. And also for Formula E as well. I mean, this is, I think, at par with one of the best fan circuits that you could probably have over the Formula 1 calendar. Because we've got the amazing stadium section, such a crazy racetrack. I think it's going to be amazing if Sergio Perez just somehow finds a way to win. And he actually has the best chance to win because last year when he was a Red Bull driver, there wasn't a race in Mexico. And this year, he is in a race-winning, title-winning car. Can he actually win in Mexico? Oh, yeah, there was a race last year. Sorry, in 2020, there wasn't a race. My apologies. So he, he's got a second time to sort of see if Mexico actually declares a national holiday. Should he actually win, right? To my mind, I still thought we were in 2021, just COVID reasons. Okay, but, uh, you know, the strange thing is the Day of the Dead is what the Mexicans actually celebrate uh, around the Mexican Grand Prix, which is why it is held at this time of the year. But it's actually the Day of the Alive, if you were to see what you see on broadcast, because Japan, different set of, you know, Formula One fans that we saw two races ago, Miami, close to half a million, different set of Formula One fans. Similarly, now Mexico, another very different but a very engaged fan base, almost demigod status for Checo Perez. And the race to come, Brazil, again, a very, very interesting uh, fan base. I mean, you know, these four races are so critical to Formula One, so critical to the history, the legacy, and to the racing that we're going to see this weekend. But Apart from just the fans, apart from Checo Perez, the one thing I am really looking forward to is the Alpine hearing, which is happening on the Thursday, which is the day we release this episode, right? Which is when uh, whether Fernando's result will be reinstated or not from, you know, my, from, so from Austin, Texas, and, and so on. And, uh, you know, Fernando Alonso, of course, says that this is going to be a hallmark judgment, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe so because, you know, in the past, and I saw, you know, the internet is famous for this. Somebody pulled out a picture of Checo, of Sebastian Vettel's Red Bull from 2012 Brazil when he actually drove a damaged floor car. And they said, that's it. This car is now disqualified 10 years later. So Fernando Alonso is a three-time champion. So let's see what happens with that that hearing Haas, you know, who of course have had a black and orange flag three occasions, Singapore, Canada, Hungary, 
thought that they were receiving more black and orange flags and some of the others. So that's the first thing to look forward to before even the cars hit the circuit on Friday, Somal. In a way, Alpine are right because they're claiming that the FIA stewards didn't quite black and orange flag it while the race was on. So Alpine are like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Why didn't you do that while the race was going on? And why did you file your protest after the deadline? So I think it's going to be interesting to look at the judgment of this one. But I'm also very curious to actually maybe sell an idea to Fernando Alonso to sell a copy of his journal if he has one as his autobiography. Because seriously, I think the first entry of his Aston Martin frustrations might have already begun last week. In public, of course, we all know that he's, of course, come out and said, oh, Lance Stroll was okay. He didn't do any error in in that crazy accident that they had. It was a racing incident, blah, blah, blah. But deep down inside, I think we all know that this is the first of many complaints that are going to come with Lance Stroll. And I'm just waiting. Does he actually go for it next year? Does he unleash them all? Because, I mean, Fernando might be all goody two-shoes when it comes to Aston Martin. But what if we get a chance to read his journal? Wouldn't that be amazing? The kind of frustrations or... Uh, that's just the thoughts that he might have over the course of his entire span with any team, especially McLaren. That'll be fun. Oh boy. You know, when the movie comes, when an autobiography or biography comes, I hope it's as unfiltered as he's always been during his Honda days at McLaren, you know, when he called it a GP2 engine and Suzuka and the likes. And not like he was in, in Austin where he sort of just brushed off Lance Stroll's mistake as a misunderstanding or whatever. But that's, of course, one thing. I'm, I'm looking forward to a driver that Fernando Alonso hosts, uh, holds in very high regard. That's George Russell. Ever since his poll in Hungary earlier this year, George has been uh, outqualified by Lewis Hamilton at every single race, right? Yes, George did outscore him in the races, but... George has also not had the cleanest of races. I mean, he's had lots of wheel-to-wheel actions, uh, incidents that sort of have come. And, uh, you know, Lando Norris just turned around and said, George is no longer the fun guy he was at Williams. He's changed. And George is sort of, you know, has offered a rebuttal to that. But this goes to show, I mean, going up against Lewis Hamilton, given the season, start to the season, the first half of the season that he had, and now the second half and so on. So he might finish ahead of Hamilton in the Drivers' Championship, but Lewis has definitely had a run on him in the last several races through the summer break. So what will be the story in, in Mexico? Will George still continue to be outqualified? Will he you know, sort of strike back? That will be important uh, for us to see. There, interestingly, has never been a repeat pole sitter. So there are five drivers who can actually change that around, although I wouldn't rule three drivers in the mix there. So Leclerc, Bottas, uh, Ricardo, Hamilton, and Fettel are the ones who could be a repeat pole sitter in case that were to happen. But let's see how that story unfolds as well. On the subject of George Russell, I really want to see him take his first Formula win. Formula One win, I'm sorry, over here of all places. Because, you know, at the Mexican GP, once you're done with the race, they tend to lift your car up on the podium while a DJ is playing, as they did with Max Verstappen last year. Now, imagine the sight. Russell wins his first ever Formula One race. We all know him to be a little bit stiff. He's not, not quite the most open, let's say, dancer of sorts in comparison to all the other Formula One drivers. There's a DJ playing all these excited beats. Russell's car is being lifted up and there he is, pretending to dance. And now, wouldn't that be a really fun sight? I, I can't imagine it genuinely, but that's one side I really would want to see. Along with another side that I really want to see, which is Carlos Sainz 
completing two laps this weekend, Gunal. He's not completed one in both of the last couple of races. I really just want to see him get to lap number two. But what happens afterwards? Does he end up finishing lap number two as well? Is going to be a major question because traditionally over here, crashes can happen and drivers can go wide, which has got me wondering, if I was the Mexican GP organizer, I wouldn't even bother trimming the grass on the exit of turn number one because every single year, someone on the other just goes out there, cuts the grass all the time and gets back on the track. So why why unnessarily boost your expenses when you can have the Formula 1 drivers turn into lawnmowers? Oh, that's an expensive but a very interesting lawnmower when that happens. And it's an exciting track, lots of challenges. One of the key buzzwords we will hear this weekend is altitude and the impact that it will have on engines, on downforce. We will hear all this, all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, uh, numbers on how there is an impact on aero performance. It's lower, especially, you know, because uh, you need as thick air possible to generate all the downforce, but the air is thin. Similarly with engine performance, and I think it's 25% uh, the altitude, the air is 25% thinner than regular places. And traditionally, this has always been a Honda and uh, a Max Verstappen Red Bull circuit because back in back in the days when they didn't have the best package, uh, they would look forward to the Mexican Grand Prix to score at least one odd win in the season. So that's why Max actually has scored more wins in the last five years, if I recollect correctly, than any other driver. So, uh, you know, altitude, look out for that word, apart from Checo Perez and Day of the Dead and all the skull uh, masks and, and those sombreros. Is that the word, if I if I remember my Mexican attire correctly? It is, yes. Yeah, sombreros it is. And the sombreros won't be the only thing to watch for, because this weekend, we are going to have a whole host of new drivers come along to try and race in FP1, which we should get down to in a little more depth. But first, I need to invite you to come to a Brazilian GP watch along on PTM Insider next week. But no, I think is it I think it's next to next week, right? I think we do have a week-long gap after the Mexican GP. But that's gonna happen rather soon, folks. And over there we'll have Peter Winsett, the reputed Formula One journalist, come along, share his Formula One stories, share his insights on driver styles and abilities and how certain drivers have certain styles that really impact the way their car behaves and why, let's say, a Charles Leclerc is very different to Carlos Sainz in terms of his driving style. There's that. We're going to be discussing the race strategy. And you can interact with Peter on all things Formula 1, including the race on hand, live as it happens. Now, to register for that, please check out the link in the description of this episode. And I think you'll really have a fun time fun time joining us over there. So do, forget, do, do not forget to check out the link over there. Well, let me get my words correctly. But now that I've told you more about this event, let's get to FP1 first. But what about you, Gunal? You have something to look forward to for the watch-along? Oh, absolutely. Very crucially, this watch-along is open to everybody on the planet with an internet-enabled device. It is free to come and visit and come and interact with Peter. In fact, we are expecting such a long queue of questions that we're going to have a you know token system to try and get questions answered. But it's like a, it's like the best second screen experience you can ever have when it comes to consuming Formula One. You watch your Formula One at home, but tune into the the live race watch along. Uh, it's like going into a, you know a conference call or joining a clubhouse session with an expert that sort of helps you understand the race action, the race insights, and and other stories much better. And the best part is that Somil is going to co-host it with Peter along with F1 Stats Guru Sundaram. So it's like a perfect trio 
to you know get you that much closer to your Formula One race consumption experience. And we had three watch-alongs with Steve Slater, and they were so much fun. I can't tell you genuinely. And we are going to have more with Peter Winston as well, starting out with the Brazilian GP. So I think you'll love to join us over there. And as I mentioned, check out the link in the description below. But I was quickly going to talk about the new drivers coming into FP1. But before we go to that, I've just remembered, we just got the news early this morning that Audi have, well, finalized the deal to buy 50% of Sauber's shares in 2026 and to enter Formula 1 as Audi Sauber, much like BMW Sauber back in the day. Now, this is revolutionary news of sorts for the Swiss-based team because they haven't properly had any manufacturer support for a very, very long time. Indeed, they have a bit of a synergy with Ferrari right now and they are under the Alfa Romeo name. But let's be honest, Kunal, it's just a name, right? This will be back to the old 2006-2009 formula of sorts where they have a manufacturer team investing heavily, setting up their own plant, getting their own workers in, properly making it a manufacturer offer. And this, I think, represents good times coming in once again for Sauber. What do you have to say about this whole agenda before I share my opinion on it? Firstly, for the Volkswagen Group, this is probably the best news more than just anyone else after the whole Red Bull Porsche botch deal that happened. And all in all, it's a win-win for Sauber. It's a win-win for Audi. More than anything else, it's a win-win for Formula One because there's another historic constructor with a fantastic lineage of, uh, in the motorsport world joining the ranks of Formula One. This is what the 2026 regulations have been set out to do to get new manufacturers, to get new uh, you know, uh, interest in the sport. And you know, the hope then is that instead of having just two teams competing for wins and, you know, for example, this season and Mercedes just on the outside, could we then see that, uh, you know, Audi is also able to elevate Sauber to the potential of being, you know, a race winning team or at least competing for race wins as as they would come, right? Because that's the, that's, that's the key that's the key part about the whole Sauber Audi deal and to me Sauber is a fantastic journey a very inspiring journey i had the privilege of interviewing peter sauber for uh you know for for when Sauber was celebrating 50 years of motorsport a couple of years ago and he actually reminded me of how when he started he started in his parents' basement building the C1 which was actually uh, participating and winning hill climb championships in switzerland because uh you know he is motorsport of all forms was banned in in switzerland after the 1955 le mans incident that happened right so from there he you know went on to winning uh sports car championships uh, won le mans introduced uh mercedes or reintroduced mercedes to motorsport because mercedes was on a 33 year gap uh you know after after the le mans disaster also brought BMW, like you pointed out, but very crucially brought Red Bull to Formula One. And that's what, you know, uh, Peter Sauber was capable of doing. And then, of course, uh, brought Petronas to Formula One as well back in the 2000s. And Red Bull is one of the biggest investors in the sport now. Petronas is one of the biggest sponsors in the sport with the former, and I like to say this, former constructors, champions, 
Mercedes. So just the impact that Sauber has had on the commercial as well as the driving side of things in Formula One, you know, giving the likes of uh, uh, Felipe Massa, the likes of uh, Kimi Raikkonen, and you know, even Michael Schumacher was, you know, essentially racing for Sauber Mercedes back in sports cars back then. So Charles Leclerc, again, one of the other drivers who who had his debut with uh, with Sauber. So a fantastic lineage in Formula One, and it's I'm I'm waiting to see how this story unfolds, and hopefully this is the partnership that gets Sauber out from the midfield into the sharp end of the field, fighting for wins and podiums consistently. And Sauber has had such a big impact on the engineers of Formula One as well. I've heard that it's a really great proving ground to learn your craft. And I mean, of course, Formula One is not a learning school at the end of the day. It's a finishing school, but there's so much that you can learn and take from from a smaller team into a bigger team as well. And Sauber is one of those smaller teams that really can help you out with that. And that's amazing to see. And Audi as well, just the history that that name represents. We've had it in Formula One back in the day, in the pre-war eras. And the kind of races that they were a part of and the kind of championships that they won before Formula One was even Formula One it's just a remarkable bit of history that comes with that badge. And it'll be amazing to see them back in Formula 1 once again after such a long time. And I'm just curious, who will the drivers be? But that's for 2026. Let's not worry about it right now. Let's celebrate that good news. But also, let's answer a really fun question that we all have been curious about at some point in a Formula 1 watching lives. Which is, well, in IndyCar, if the driver wins the championship, they are awarded with the championship right then and there. If it happens in the world of football, you're given the trophy right there and there in the final. But why not in Formula 1? Why do we have to wait for a championship gala at the very end? Well, to answer that, we've got F1 Stats Guru back on the podcast once again, explaining this in a special segment. Let's listen in. So Max Verstappen became the world champion at Suzuka. But are you wondering, why hasn't he received his championship trophy yet? So title winners don't receive the trophy at the race they win it. In fact, it's presented at the end of the season. And I don't mean at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. So unlike other sports like football or cricket, where the winners receive their silverware on the day the tournament or the league ends, in Formula 1, the winner is presented with their trophy at the FIA prize-giving ceremony. It's a separate formal event which takes place a few days after the season finale. The F2 and F3 champions are also officially crowned that night. Oh, and sometimes you also get to see Kimi Raikkonen getting drunk as well. But why did they do that? So the delay is because there's an outside chance a driver could be penalized from the race or even disqualified from the championship due to a technical or sporting infringement. For example, Sebastian Vettel came second at last year's Hungarian Grand Prix but was later disqualified for not having enough fuel in his car. Similarly, after Kimi Raikkonen won the 2007 title, McLaren appealed to disqualify Sauber and Williams from the last race due to a fuel violation. Had that been accepted, Lewis Hamilton would have been the world champion in 2007, his rookie year in Formula 1. Isn't it weird? Yes, it is, because when you just become the champion, that's the moment of celebration. That's what you worked hard for. And that's when you want your whole team and your fans to be there. But when they receive the trophy four to five days later, the excitement and the raw human emotion isn't there anymore. And celebrations are usually subdued. It feels a little unnecessary considering it's really rare for a driver to be penalized at the end of the season. But hey, it is what it is. To hear more such interesting stories from Formula 1, stay tuned to the Inside Line F1 podcast. Crazy, isn't it? But it's actually for the better if you kind of think about it at the end of the day, you know? Because if we have a controversy like 2021 and if the FIA do have, let's say, the guts to make a change uh, in the final results, it, it does help out to have that buffer, no? Well... 
I disagree. I strongly believe that the day the champion is the championships are won are the days when you should end up celebrating and giving it away. I mean, uh, having it at the FIA gala in December where there's no broadcast, there will be some social media updates and you know that's a very FIA controlled event, mind you, right? Very formal no champagne, no celebrations, no jumping, you know, black tie, Taibo, whatever event and all that. To me, I would love, I would have loved for it to happen in Japan and then in, in, in Kota when the championships were won. Yes, then the pressure is on the FIA to turn around and say, hey, it has to happen. Uh, we need to come up with a decision on what sort of the final race result is going to be. Uh, and it, let's assume that it takes a couple of hours, then at least you could award the, the trophy in the next race. But the the, fa- the fact is it needs to be awarded when uh, you know F1 has the maximum attention, maximum eyeballs live on broadcast on TV. And mind you, a lot of these television broadcasts pay millions of dollars for all of these high points in in through the season right so that's my view but hopefully or maybe knowing liberty media and how tv friendly how fan friendly how commerce friendly they are maybe these are those small subtle but very evident changes that they could end up making in the seasons to come i think they really must have looked at japan and have been like wow is this the pinnacle of a formula one season and i'm sure that by next year they will make some concrete changes but I think it's fair to present it at the FIA gala if every single driver drinks like Kimi Raikkonen. Only then it'll be an interesting spectacle that we will tune into in the middle of December just to check out what's happening. But that's enough on the FIA gala and the trophies. Let's talk more about the new drivers coming in to race at Mexico City, in Mexico City rather, for FP1. And this time, Gunal, we're going uh, to have three different drivers coming in. Firstly, it's going to be uh, Liam Lawson driving once again for Toro Rosso this time out. There is going to be Pietro Fittipaldi racing for Haas. And now, best of the lot, Jack Doohan. And now Jack Doohan, of course, is the son of Mick Doohan, the legendary motorcycle racer who's won countless world championships on two wheels. But the interesting part is, Peter Windsor was on the Inside Line of One podcast a couple of, uh, I think, not even a couple of months ago, I think only a month ago, to talk about how good Jack Doohan is and how well Alpine have been bringing him up. And the fun fact is, Kunal, He's only born in the January of 2003. Now, that's just the same year in which Fernando Alonso won his first Formula 1 race. It's going to be fun to see him share the track with him, actually. Or, or is, he, is he actually going to drive in place of Alonso this time out? I'm not sure. Yeah, I believe they've not yet made the announcement whose car he's going to take, because that's what I was looking out for in the, in the press release as well. But it's good. You know, USA and Mexico, FP2 is 30 minutes longer because of 2023 tyre testing which is why it's sort of easier to give FP1 away to another junior driver so your regular drivers still get track time. Remember, this was also supposed to be the plan for Suzuka, the the longer FP2, but Pirelli carried tires all the way there only to realize, hey, the probability was rain of rain was higher than the probability of us running a longer FP2 session. So that's that's the reason. But, you know, I expect a lot more drivers, not in Brazil because of the sprint race, but then again, everybody back in Abu Dhabi to make sure that the two mandatory FP1 sessions where you feel a rookie driver get fulfilled in the time to come. Yeah, let's wait and watch to see how well these drivers perform at the end, because I'm actually very curious to see how Doon especially ends up playing out. That's going to be very, very interesting. But now, Kunal, We have come to that stage where we finally get to listen to the stats preview once again from F1 Stats Guru. 
Unfortunately, he's not quite with us to record this entire episode, but here's F1 Stats Crew back once again for the Stats Preview. Let's listen in. It's time to do the Stats Preview of the Mexican Grand Prix. My name is Sundaram, also known as the F1 Stats Guru. Let's talk numbers. Now, there are some interesting patterns and circuit characteristics surrounding this event. The venue for the Mexican Grand Prix, the Autodromo Hermanos Rodriguez, is situated over 2200 meters above sea level. That's literally three times the height of the Burj Khalifa. Due to the high altitude, the air around this venue is a lot thinner. As a result, teams run monocospec wing levels, the highest downforce levels basically, yet they get Monza-like speeds. Crazy, isn't it? Since this track returned to Formula 1, only three drivers have won here, Nico Rosberg, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. And Verstappen needs just one more win to break the all-time record of 13 wins in one season, first set by Michael Schumacher and later by Sebastian Vettel as well. There have been 10 different pole sitters in Mexico in the last 10 races here, which dates back to 1989. And if Verstappen, Perez or Sainz take pole this time, it'll be the 11th different driver to do so in as many years. But being the pole sitter around this track is probably not the best thing to do. Because since 2017, the driver starting P1 has not only failed to win the race, but hasn't even stood on the podium. That was a stats preview of the Mexican Grand Prix. I hope you guys enjoyed it. To see more such interesting stats, do follow me on Instagram and Twitter under the name F1 Stats Guru. And I'll see you guys later. Welcome back in folks to the Inside Line F1 podcast. And now that we know what the numbers have to say, how do we predict this Mexican GP to end up going? Now, for me, for my side, I can't quite look beyond Carlos Sainz once again because we saw him take a pole position last time out. There is this little bit of momentum, at least in the qualifying sense, that he is kind of bringing in. And we discussed in the USGP review as well that Sainz has been consistently getting closer in terms of qualifying gaps to every single driver. And at Mexico City, that is quite an important thing to consider. So, Kunal, how would you pan your race out? Finally, my Carlos Sainz prediction has a little bit of sense behind it. But who are you going to pick for this race? Sorry to burst your bubble, but Carlos Sainz's two back-to-back races of no uh, points is actually his worst since 2020 McLaren, Turkey and Russia, right? Uh, I know he had two races of no points earlier in the season, but Imola also had a sprint race where he scored points. So that sort of evens it out. But I, I can't look beyond Verstappen and Red Bull Racing and there's this whole question on F1 Nation will Verstappen move away to give Checo the win if they are 1-2 and I think that's all nonsense talk I mean eventually you can imagine a slow stop and he's fuming and something else happens you know he's two seconds off uh, the line crossing the line and he's fuming because he wants perfect execution and then imagine you just tell Max Checo's done a great job. Why don't you just let him take the win? I don't think that's happening, but you never know. This this is a crazy sport. When you believe nothing will happen, nothing usually does. That's what the great Murray Walker's already always say, said. Uh, so I'd still say Max Verstappen. Ah, oh, come on. Don't be a spoiled sport, Canal. I really want to see Mexico celebrate very, very hard when Sergio Perez ends up winning. But that's just a hope at this moment in time. We've got to wait and see. And I think just for fun, Verstappen should end up taking a grid drop to start from last and see, well, what's the worst that can happen? That way Sergio Perez can win at home as well. And we can also potentially see Verstappen at least try to go from last to first. But I think I'm being a little bit too hopeful. Let's hope that does happen though. And let's hope that you all really enjoy this weekend, folks. And if you have enjoyed listening to this episode, don't forget to subscribe to the Inside 9 f one podcast. And don't forget to register on the live race watch along with Peter Windsor for the Brazilian GP by clicking on the link in the description to this episode. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great time. We shall see you all soon. Bye-bye.